I'm going to talk to you about the seven important characteristics. There's seven DNA strands of a New Testament church. What is the church that Jesus is building? All right, so first off, let's kick off with this. Number one, true north means that a church is always aligned to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of his church. Point number one, Jesus Christ is the center of his church. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 11 says, let no man lay any other foundation than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, it's so rote. I mean, I think everybody believes, I think all churches in the world believe that they are centered around Christ. But that doesn't seem to be the case by observation. I think theologically, all churches would subscribe to, of course, you know, we've got a cross in the church or whatever. That's Jesus. He's central. But that might not be the marching orders. For example, let's take the Salvation Army. Uh, as a kid, I, I grew up and was exposed to the Salvation Army. And many other flows, we moved around quite a lot. The Salvation Army, um, in my mind, until I experienced them, I thought was a charity organization. You see, what happens is they started off being radically missional. William Booth started the Salvation Army. He also started the concept of Sunday school, teaching people how to read, uh, mostly the slaves and the miners and things like that who could only get a Sunday off. He would teach them on Sunday school to read from the Word of God. A great revivalist, wonderful man of God. But out of that, the mission to the poor became the primary focus. So if anybody knows of the Salvation Army, we would know them as a charity organization rather than a church. And it's so easy to be steered away to ecumenicalism, which is uh, the love of people and be motivated by people rather than by Jesus Christ. I remember going on holiday a couple of years ago, sitting by the sea, just talking to Jesus one morning. And I remember Jesus say to me and ask me this question. He said, are you in ministry because you love people? Or because you love me? It's like, ah, Jesus, that's a trick question, right? I'll get back to you tomorrow. I actually felt like phoning a friend because I knew that there was only one right answer to that. And that is, Jesus, I'm doing church because I love you. And out of the love for Jesus, the love for people will come, right? If we do it out of love for people, and that's not a bad motive, it's just not a sustaining motive. If we are so in love with people that we want to see them saved and all the rest, uh, but it's not for Jesus, uh, it's a subtle difference, right? But it can only really be Christ and his church. The next day I went down to the beach. I had my answer for Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'm doing this for you. And uh, then he said to me, give me my church back which I think as a church planter is like having a knife plunged into your heart, you know, immediately I'm like, Jesus, you know what we suffered, you know how much we gave up, you know what we sacrificed for this church and to give it back to you. Ah, it's my baby. And actually it's not really, it's Jesus's baby. Didn't he say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. So the word says in Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. The foundation, apostles, prophets, right angles. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the building together. The second DNA essential, the critical DNA essential is word and spirit based church. Word and spirit based church. How did Jesus put it? Look at this. John chapter 6, verse 63. This is not in your notes, but take, take this note. 
John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. Jesus talking, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Now he talks, he says, the words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. All right, so Jesus says, the spirit counts for everything. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. And so Jesus says, my word and my spirit operate together. The words I speak are spirit. And so we, we can't distinguish between, oh, we're a word-based church. You know, we, we, we love the word. We've got to love the word. Uh, but the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything Jesus has spoken, right? So we do need a spirit-empowered church. We need to live by the spirit. The spirit counts for everything. The flesh counts for nothing. That is John 6, verse 63. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we know this, he said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See, without the power, nothing happens. Jesus sent his disciples. He said, sent his apostles. He said, go and pray. Go and wait. I will empower you. And don't do anything. Go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Because unless you have the power, you're going to accomplish nothing. Remember, the battle we fight, friends, the principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness, that's our opponent. We can't come with clever thoughts. We can't come with great philosophy. My man, if we come with clever ideas and try to convince people, you know, philosophy can unconvince people or convince them of something else. We truly need to have a word and spirit mixture. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms. I have transformed nobody. In fact, let me tell you something. We've laid hands on many people. I've never healed anybody. Only Jesus can heal by his spirit. See, that's not up to us. When we allow the spirit to flow, things happen. Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4.20, he says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says this. He says, I didn't come to you with clever words alone but a demonstration of power and the Spirit, so that your faith might be in God and not in man. See, we can come with our clever philosophies. People, sure, you know, as a leader, people are attracted to you, but let them be attracted to Jesus in you. Let them be attracted through the power of the Spirit to Jesus in you, rather than to your wonderful personality or your persuasive words, or your great teaching skills or your great persona. Let them be drawn to Jesus. Spirit and word empowered. See, if you start in the flesh, friends, you've got to continue in the flesh. Whatever you start has a momentum of its own, and that will wear you out. See, the good thing about the Spirit is if we start in the fuel of the Spirit, that endless supply can always be tapped. But if we start in our own flesh, in our own power, friends, we have to sustain by our own power. And that is only limited, right? The Holy Spirit convicts and transforms people. So this is the third point. So firstly, Christ-centered. Number two, spirit and word. Number three, priesthood of all beliefs. Now this is critical. See, in our togetherness, we have some sayings. And one of these is, we are equal in value, but different in function. And so I, I speak to our leaders very often. And I'll say to them, hey guys, don't get a big head. In fact, I'll speak to the whole church. And say, who's the most important guy on a Sunday morning in the building? 
Well, uh, apparently I've been told that people make up their mind in the parking lot whether they're going to come to church again or not, whether they're going to even give the church a try. You've got about six seconds. And ordinarily, people stay not on account of the great praise and worship or the account of the great preacher or any program or how slick your multimedia is, all of those things mm, can be important, but they're distractions. People decide whether they're coming back to church or not by the smile they receive in the parking. Who's the most important minister on a Sunday morning or whenever you have your public meeting? I'm pretty sure it's the first person that is seen. Priesthood of believers means the guy who's out there getting out of his car, smiling at new people. That guy is the most important person. The first person people meet is the most important person on a Sunday morning. Well, having said that, well, a guy can receive a great smile, a great welcome at the door. But if he goes to the toilet and the toilets are dirty, he's not coming back. He's not bringing his wife and definitely not his kids back, right? Cleanliness. So the cleaner is essential and critical in, in church planting. Why? Because every single person matters in the church of Jesus Christ. The same blood of Jesus was paid for you, as was paid for me, as was paid for every single lost person out there. The same blood of Jesus, the same value is placed on every single life. We have equal value, different function. And so out of that flows a definite gift recognition, which means what is the gift that we need? Well, the gift we need, the time is what we need. The person who administers that gift is the critical person at that time and space. Therefore, the whole body works together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, right? These are basic, basic principles. But you know, it's so easy in planning a church to make it all about the key person, the core couple, maybe even the core team around that couple, key ministry leaders, possibly a worship leader or a children's church leader, whatever your brand of or philosophy of ministry is it's so easy to corrupt the word of God and the centrality of Christ by not being a Christ body by being a uh, hierarchical body no no guys let's just flatten that out we lead from the front you know the triangles we lead from the front and in the wake is that place where everybody streams together to become a body of Christ rather than a key person or a, a key team as much as we need leadership, we need leadership to be empowering leadership. Let me qualify empowerment. And we're not talking about a permissive environment where everything goes, right? We're talking about an empowering environment where we, by the Spirit, discern gifts, call those gifts into being, raise them, equip them, and release them in the local church and through the local church to plant other local churches. The fourth point intentional discipleship now if there's anything friends and all of these things i know dovetail together because if jesus is the head of his church then we're going to follow his marching orders you know spirit and word empowered and uh, um, intentional body ministry the priesthood of all believers we, we understand all of these things none of them can be taken apart all of these things critically hang on one another and and they trickle down the whole chain of command if jesus is true north then obviously his word has priority in our lives and his command has priority in our lives and matthew 28 verse 19 and 20 has priority in our life which says go and make disciples of all nations so can i be a little bit controversial here we know the scripture says 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian doctrine. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And truly, I am with you to the very end of the age. That teaching and obedience, that's a discipleship concept. You know, we know we in Scripture are we called to go and get people saved. And I know the modern day evangelistic drive is, is hey, make a decision for Jesus. Friends, I want to say that I think we've short circuited the gospel by making altar calls and people just put up their hands and give your heart to Jesus. My friends, I think the lordship aspect of discipleship is totally missing in many modern churches. Honestly, I believe that our job is to make disciples, not converts. And a disciple is to bring somebody into the discipline of Christ and into to teach him to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So obviously, if the Spirit and the Word are a priority, then we have to teach them the Word. So I do believe that in a church, there's got to be a systematic discipleship process. Now, I don't believe it's just courses, although I believe courses are an important part of that. We've got step courses that we would take people through basic fundamental doctrines and and knowledge of God, knowledge of how the church works, knowledge of how leadership works, knowledge of how they, yeah, we all have academic knowledge, but we also have a practical, demonstrative knowledge of living together. And this, if you get anything right, this is the key. And that is the shared living. See, the manifestation of the early church and the observation was this. It was Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Apostles' doctrine, they devoted themselves, the word says, to apostles' doctrine, to fellowship to breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was a shared living. We can go on in the book of Acts, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and we can see how people had everything in common. They shared what they had. There was a shared living. There was a value for being together in each other's homes. Now, homes are where the church is. Friends, I don't know in Scripture if you can find anything in the New Testament about a venue, a specific venue, a public venue, although they are helpful we know that the life of the New Testament church was mainly in the homes. So people gathered in the homes, they discipled one another in the homes, and the expression was apostles' doctrine together for the Sunday feast um, in, a, in a public place. Now, I believe that there's some Trinitarian doctrine in that, you know. I think our daily walk is with Jesus, right? We have a relationship with Jesus. Our small group walk is the gifts of the Holy Spirit and working together. I mean, you don't need any of the fruits of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit if you live in isolation. Me and Jesus, we're like this, right? But the Holy Spirit empowers us to work with others. And mainly the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow in small groups. And then the time with the Father in the Trinity, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the time with the Father, mainly is apostles' doctrine. It's getting together. Like Imagine this Sunday lunch or Christmas lunch, a banquet, where we're seated at the Father's table. And there's a whole family moment and everybody chows down together. Great feast. That would be Apostles' Doctrine. Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship. That's the homes. Breaking of bread. That's eating and feasting together. Shared meals. And prayer. Prayer at all of these events, we know. But I believe that you have to have a one-on-one -on -one walk with Jesus. You've got to have a one-and-many walk with the Holy Spirit. And you also need to have a corporate feast with the Father. Those are fathering moments. Cool. All right, so we believe in shared living, open houses, hospitality. The key, I think, to, to one, of, one of the um, building blocks of our church has been open homes. It's been um, the fact that 
our homes and our possessions are open. You know, what we have and who we are is available for the master. That is always, and see, discipleship is a lordship issue. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Is he Lord of my finances? Is he Lord of my home? Is he Lord over everything? Uh, if he's not, I would sincerely recommend that you revisit the idea of planting a church or leading a church. If Jesus hasn't got lordship over all your possessions, your time, your, your money, your resources, your your home, if he hasn't got lordship over that, I would say, don't plant a church. You're going to burn. If it's not God's stuff, then it's still your stuff. And the one thing is surrender, surrender, surrender. All right, lordship is obedience to Jesus. Number five, spiritual practices. Now, sure, we've got um, many spiritual practices. We're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Sandwiched in between these two pieces of bun is the actual burger patty, which is love, right? Everything goes about love. So um, 1 Corinthians 12, which is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 15, which is a demonstration of um, the revelation gifts, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. That is the clever packaging for the actual gift of love in between. It's the bread to keep your fingers from getting dirty on the sauce of the hamburger as you sink into the meat of what the kingdom is about. Spiritual gifts form an important place. We have to, have to, have to have a functioning of the Holy Spirit in our togetherness. Um, he needs to be present. Spiritual practices also include... Obviously, sacraments, communion, um, prayer times, all those manifestations of what we do as a spiritual body. And in part, part of those spiritual practices also, if you have a look at the notes, there's a personal time in the Word and all the rest of this. 1 Corinthians 4.20, I've mentioned this before. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. There's got to be a demonstration when we are together. There's got to be a uh, crying out of truly God is among them. People need to be moved by the presence of, of God. And that is revealed by his man manifestation. There is a demonstration of who he is in our midst for people to understand. This is the temple of the living God. The, you have come not to a mountain that smokes and thunders, but to the, the church of the living God. Right? <laughs> yeah, beautiful stuff. All right. Number six. Apostolic mission. You know, the nature of church planting is apostolic. Apostelos, uh, going out, sent. Uh, apo means out and stelos, sent. So sent out one, uh, going forth. That's the purpose, right, of planting a church in a new culture, in a new context, in a new city, in a new town, in a new village, maybe even just planting a site or whatever. That is an apostolic moment. And that apostolic mission, my friends, must be God-driven. It can't be ego-driven or um, rebellion-driven. Help us, Lord. You know, like root, like fruit. If the root, if the root is bad, the fruit will be horrible. But if the root is good, the fruit will be good. The, the whole point, friends, is that if that culture in the church is right, you will produce leaders. 
There is something of apostolic mission and mandate that is fundamental to the core of church planting. Now, a planted church will plant churches unless it becomes a purely pastoral church, which is just there to care for us for and no more. You know, the, the I and J chosen frozen packaging, right? So that is the fish chosen frozen. But it, it doesn't, fish don't come like that. They come into the boat flapping and biting and and full of scales and slime and stinking and whatever, smelling like the ocean and uh, full of this morning's breakfast. They come very, very much alive. And the apostolic mission is to take the kingdom of God, the light of God, into the dark places and light them up. The apostolic mission, the mandate, is to transfer the kingdom of light as it is in heaven. So let it be on earth. That's how we're taught to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done right here as it is in heaven. Accessing heaven and transplanting heaven's culture into a hostile world. That's apostolic mission. Doesn't matter where you go. And that better come with power and authority or it's going to come on the back of your own strength and it's going to fail. Apostolic mission is God's plan. The sent out ones. Now I can tell you some stories. I mean, gee, whiskers. Now, through the church, uh, we've had the privilege of, of going to various other places, some unreached people groups, and uh, places where there aren't churches. And every single time, with an apostolic mandate, when we go there with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God and strength and power and demonstration, churches get planted that way because, uh, in a local context, and it doesn't even have to take long. Because of a breakthrough of the Spirit, the apostolic mandate and the apostolic mission is always the mission of the church. I'm not sure who said this, but it basically goes like this. The mission of the church is mission. The mission of the church is mission. It's what we are here for. The only reason we are still on earth is because the world hasn't heard of Jesus yet. By the time the last person has heard of Jesus, the mission of the church will have been accomplished and we will be taken to be with him. Until then, we're still on mission. Hostile mission, true. But friends, I, I see it a bit like a, um, a military ship that we're on. Like, yeah, sure, we are fellowshipping, we are Loving one another on this boat. But this boat is on mission. We are here to fulfill the mandate of Jesus Christ. The last point is reproducing. Number seven, reproduction. We are called to reproduce. Now a healthy tree will reproduce. Which brings me back to this kind of church planting vibe that, that uh, the churches in our region wanted to do. And churches from different denominations, right? They say, so Chris, how do we do this thing? Because you guys have been effective in this. And yes, sure, we have. We've got some guys in, in Canada. We've got guys who planted in our on the West Rand here. We've got guys who planted in, uh, in, in Boxburg. We've got guys who planted all over, actually. We've got a team that are going to be planting into Austria soon. How do we do that? Well, it's actually, I, I don't know. I don't think it's intentional church planting. I just think healthy Human beings will reproduce baby human beings, right? A healthy church will reproduce other healthy churches. 
A healthy leader reproduces healthy leaders. Uh, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. That DNA, that rubber stamp, when we help people grow in the life of Christ, will produce the life of Christ through them into other communities. Now, that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that as you walk and you journey with God in this labor of having his fingerprints, that's the DNA, his fingerprints all over you, the more we become like Christ, the more the church will become like Christ, and the more we will reproduce Christ-like disciples who do Christ-like things. I just want to say, to get these things right in your life, align yourself with the life of Christ. Align yourself Disciple yourself after your, your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. It's a Lordship issue. The DNA of the church is a Lordship issue. If you're surrendered to Jesus, growing to become like Jesus, so will your church and so will the churches who reproduce after you. God bless you, my friends. May you be greatly encouraged. My prayer for you is that you live and grow in the vitality of God and that you will shake the kingdom of darkness and plant churches wherever you go. Go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, rule over it and subdue it as God commanded us to do. God bless you.